Return in God's Word this evening to Mark chapter 2. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 2. We read verses 1 through 12 of Mark 2. And that will serve as our scripture reading as well as the text of this evening's sermon. Mark 2, 1 through 12. The parallel texts, which I will also draw from in the sermon, are in Matthew 9 and Luke chapter 5. Matthew 9 and Luke 5 have the same events recorded by different gospel writers, inspired by the same Holy Spirit. Here we read Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, Thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that he may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we consider one of the most well-known miracles, perhaps, of Jesus Christ, the healing of the paralytic, or one afflicted with paralysis. 
Notice with me at the start of this sermon the setting or context of this miracle. First, Jesus is engaged in a preaching ministry. Though He did miracles during His ministry, His main focus throughout His public ministry was on the Word. He preached the Word. He used the Old Testament Scriptures and He preached the Word to the people. He preached the Kingdom of God. The end of verse 2 in our text shows that Jesus is still focused on this during His ministry, even in this event of the healing of the paralytic. The end of verse 2 says, and He preached the Word unto them. And the verb form of that word preached is a continuous action to be translated this way or understood this way. He was preaching the Word unto them. So that first, in the context, He is continuing His preaching ministry, which is most important to Him in His public ministry then, as well as in His ministry today. Second, Jesus was engaged in this preaching ministry in the region of Galilee and in the city of Capernaum in particular. He seems to be still on His first missionary or first Galilean tour, having a mission work through the, 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 the region of Galilee, the north part of Canaan. And here, we find him coming to Capernaum. It's not the first time he's been in Capernaum. In fact, it seems that he frequents Capernaum. and comes there regularly. Especially after the citizens of his own town, Nazareth, had rejected him and attempted to kill him to try to push him off the cliff. You remember that story. Jesus now regularly comes to Capernaum instead. In fact, it seems that Jesus makes Capernaum a place which He could call home. In our text, Mark 2, verse 2, we read again, He entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised abroad that He was, and we have, in the house. And that can be understood as He was at home. It's possible that Jesus has made perhaps Peter's house a place that he frequents so that people called it his home. Or it's even possible that Jesus had moved his mother Mary and his siblings from Nazareth to Capernaum into a different home or house. Matthew, Matthew 9, records for us the same miracle and he says this in Matthew 9, he entered into his ship, passed over and came into his own city. Matthew speaks of Capernaum now not Nazareth, as his own city. So about the setting, he's engaged in his preaching ministry, and he's, he's come to Capernaum, back to Capernaum, where he has a house or a home that he regularly visits. And third, about the context, Jesus is surrounded by a variety of people. All kinds of people come to hear his preaching and to see his miracles. And Luke tells us specifically that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law, Luke 5.17, sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. They had seen Jesus' miracles already. They had heard Him preach already as one having more authority than they themselves. And they are attracted to Jesus, not, however, because they believe in Him or love Him, but because they hate Him. And they now gather to seek to find some fault with Him. So within the house that he is preaching, there are all kinds of people, but especially those scribes and Pharisees 
who are looking on to find some fault with our Savior. All three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three include this event, proving that it's an event of great significance, and it's meant, all three Gospels are, have it so, to, so, to, so as to attract our attention again and again and again to the same event, because it's important. It's a memorable event. It was unforgettable that four men brought their friend to Jesus in this manner. It is quite stunning how they did that, and it is quite stunning how Jesus puts to silence his enemies. And it was amazing how he healed a man with paralysis, that which doctors today can't do. But there's one part of this text which is often forgotten. It is actually the emphasis of all three synoptic gospel writers, but because of the other stunning events of the text and because of our own weak human natures, we forget the main part that Jesus and the Holy Spirit would have us focus on in this event. And the main event of this event is the spiritual healing which took place in the paralyzed man when Jesus spoke His word of power. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. We consider this text under the theme, the healing of the paralytic. First, the spiritual healing, the emphasis of this text. Second, the physical healing that takes place afterward. And then finally, the glorifying of God in response to Christ's saving work. First, the spiritual healing. Notice with me that the spiritual healing had actually already taken place in other hearts. The hearts of the four men, the four friends as we might call them, of this paralytic. In verse 5 of Mark 2, we read the inspired text says, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus Himself, who knows the hearts of all mankind, sees the faith of these men. A faith, of course, which He has already given to them, worked in their hearts, for, for faith is a gift of God. They must have heard Jesus preaching at some other time, in another setting. They must have seen Jesus preaching, confirmed by His miracles. They knew Him as the Messiah. They were Jews, probably, who knew the Scriptures, and as Jesus expounded to them that He was the fulfillment of all of Scripture's prophecies regarding the Messiah, they believed. The Spirit worked genuine faith in them. That's a miracle. And Jesus judged them as having faith. Of course, that faith, as is the case with all of us, that faith still needed to grow, that faith still needed to mature, but it was a real faith. And, and through faith, now these four men did what they did. And hearing that Jesus was nearby in His own city, in the, in the city of Capernaum, these four men, by faith, come. They come not only to hear Him again, they come not by themselves, but by faith they come, bringing with them their friend, one who was a paralytic. The Scripture does not explain the cause of the paralysis. Verse 3 says, sick of the palsy. Those words, sick of the palsy, are one word in the original, which simply means paralytic. He had paralysis. 
Perhaps this man had cerebral palsy because of a defect in the nervous system from early on in the womb. He had been born paralyzed. Or it may have been as well that he suffered a major injury later on. Perhaps he fell and was paralyzed due to what we might call an accident. We don't have an explanation for exactly why he has this paralysis, just that he has it. It was a severe form of paralysis so that he had to be carried to Jesus if he was going to come before him. Matthew's account speaks of the paralytic lying on a bed, and the literal words there are, having been laid on a bed. Having been laid on a bed, a passive idea. And so, the the implication is that this man wasn't even able to lay himself on a bed. You can picture then the four men coming to to, to this paralytic and lifting this paralytic wherever he was, maybe in his own house, and putting him on the stretcher or the makeshift bed. And then going to the four corners of that bed and lifting and carrying that man to the house in Capernaum. When they got there, as you know, they find it packed. There is no room to enter the house. It is so full. Verse 2, there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. Meaning the very entryway was packed. It was so packed that people were crowded around the door and they could not see into the house to see Jesus or hear Him, much less push through and enter in themselves. And notice now that the four men, the four men did not respond this way. The four men did not say, well, the door is closed, as we might say today. The four men do not interpret the difficulty of getting to Jesus as God closing the door. And they didn't walk home. They were not to be deterred. They saw the difficulty as a hurdle to overcome by God's grace. And by faith, they pressed on. They made no excuses. And they climbed somehow to the top of that house. In those days, as you know, many of the houses had flat roofs where sometimes people had gardens and where they spent some time. And most of the time, the the stairs to get to the top of the house where there was a garden of sorts, a flat roof, were inside the house. And so, the most probable way in which these friends got to the top of the house was by going to a neighboring house maybe built nearby, climbing up to the roof of that house and then clambering from roof to roof to get to the house where Jesus was in. Imagine that. Four men with a stretcher with a full-grown man on it climbing from roof to roof and then getting to the top of the house and there's still more work to do. There was tiling, Luke tells us. Some sort of clay and ceramic perhaps which made the flat roof hard enough to support the weight of people who would gather on the top of the house. And so these men had to break up this hard roof to make a hole, not a small one, but one big enough to lower a stretcher with a full-grown man through. 
They probably with some rope then lowered that man to Jesus down below. What a, what a surprise that must have been to the people in the house. What an interruption and what a mess. But Jesus judged it as a demonstration of faith. He saw their faith. Now, don't misunderstand that. Jesus is not saying that works equal faith. He saw their works. And He's not saying their works equal faith. Faith and works are to be distinguished. But faith is demonstrated by works, as Jesus' brother James later on would clearly say in his epistle. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5 or 6, faith which worketh by love. Faith is a clinging to Jesus Christ, a leaning upon Christ, upon His Word. But out of faith and through faith, those who truly believe will not be apathetic. They will not be passive. They will not have the attitude, well, if it happens, it happens. But there will be an urgency. There will be a diligence. There will be a discipline of itself. There will be an earnest pursuit of Jesus. And not only a pursuit of serving Jesus, but here in our text, the emphasis is this. Listen. The four friends out of a true and living faith sought to bring another to Jesus. That's what we find here. They sought to bring another to Jesus. They sought the salvation of their neighbor. Beloved in Christ Jesus, do you know? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a true and a living faith? Given to you, of course, by grace, not of yourself. Do you believe in Him who has died for you, who has atoned for you, who has suffered in your place, who has given you eternal life and all the hope that you have so that you do not have to fear and you have comfort in life and in death? Do you have the treasures of salvation in Jesus Christ? And I pray you answer, yes, I do. I know Him. I have this faith. Praise God. What is revealed in our text is this. That those who have a true and living faith will seek to bring others to Jesus. and not interpret difficulty in doing so as a closed door. See these four men? When they saw that house packed, they didn't see a way to get through it, seemed from a physical point of view. They didn't say, the door's closed. But they continued, they pressed onward to do all they could by the grace of God to bring their friend to Jesus. And so in trying to witness to others out of a true and living faith, in seeking to bring the gospel to your neighbor who has not yet heard it in truth, to your fellow employee, to someone else who you work with or at school as a fellow student, you're going to find difficulties, beloved. It's not easy to bring the gospel to others and to witness of your faith. And it's easy to interpret the difficulties as a closed door. But I exhort you on the basis of God's Word this evening that faith will press on in bringing the gospel to others, seeking to bring them 
to Jesus. So you see, there's already a spiritual healing here in these four men. For them to have such a faith to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. But now notice, secondly in this first point, the the spiritual healing of the paralytic himself. That's the focus of the text. As that bed is lowered before the eyes of all, and all focus now upon this body that is lying there on this bed in front of Jesus at the feet of the Messiah. Jesus, notice, doesn't speak a word. Normally in other miracles, he, he, He would often say, what will thou have me do? to draw out of them a confession of trust in the Messiah. But there's silence. And it may even have been that the man who was paralyzed was so paralyzed he could not speak. But as everyone gazed upon this paralytic, they thought it was clear what this man needed. They thought, everyone thought, they, they, they knew he needed salvation from his paralysis. He needed Jesus to deliver him from his bondage to a bed. Physical healing. But Jesus perceived a greater need. A deeper misery. A bondage far worse. And so this merciful Savior, not for the praise of men, on the earth, but out of true mercy, declared words so precious, so powerful, so wondrous, you should never forget them or ever deem them little, even though they're familiar to you. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Dismissed, Jesus says. That's what the word forgiveness is. Dismissed, not you, not the person. He doesn't say, go away now, but He says, dismiss. You stay, and the sins are dismissed. Gone from your record. I declare that to you, Jesus says. Cast into the depths of the sea. Removed as far as the east is from the west. No more in My sight are those sins. Innocent are you. That's forgiveness. There's been a lot of conversation about forgiveness recently. And sometimes the debate has been about whether forgiveness is something that is in God's mind, His disposition, or whether forgiveness is what He declares or says to us. The answer is yes. Forgiveness includes a disposition in the heart and mind of God and the Son of God here. Of course it does. But forgiveness is also declared. That which Jesus has in His mind and even had in His mind from eternity as a second person of the Trinity, He now comes to His sheep And He declares to that sheep, to His heart, to His soul, to His conscience, I declare you now forgiven. And that paralyzed man's heart hears the sound of the shepherd and knows his shepherd as a shepherd knows him. 
As is the case with forgiveness, Jesus at the same time declared to that man adoption. Notice, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Literally, my little one is an endearing term. You're one of mine. Adopted to the family of God and forgiven. That comes with forgiveness. And now notice too that it's personal. Jesus, Jesus did not say, forgiven are the elect generally and all my sheep. But He looks at this man, looks him in the eye, and He says to him, you child, you son of mine, your particular sins I forgive. Put yourself in the place of that paralytic. He knew his sins. They were burdening his conscience. As was the case in that time, often the people connected their physical ailment to their sins and felt as though their particular sins was the reason that they were suffering paralysis or any other ailment. Pressed down upon him. He felt guilty. His conscience accused him and Satan with it. But now the Son of God declares to him, your sins I forgive, just as if you had had no sin. Beloved, what do you think happened in the soul of that man? What do you think happened with the sound of God's word to him? When God spoke what is called justification. These were not mere words. Though his limbs remained weak and that he was still paralyzed, within his soul, the power of God with His Word was brought forth. It stirred within Him. The weight of guilt that He must have felt is lifted. Peace. Peace was in His heart. Never mind bondage to a bed. He was free from guilt. He had everything to celebrate. But you see, this was invisible. Some of the greatest works of God are invisible but no less powerful. Justification is that invisible work of God whereby He declares to us our forgiveness and our righteousness before Him. Yes, justification is that which God has ordained, planned from all eternity. Yes, justification is that which Jesus paid for at the cross. He did the legal work for it completely. But justification, as this text shows us, is declared to the soul of God's people in a powerful way. And they receive it by faith alone. This, beloved, is the greatest need of every human, be- every human being. Is your greatest need. Without exception, this is what you need today. Even if you might not feel like it. 
the sufferings, the great sufferings and afflictions of cancer, of the breaking down of the body due to old age, of great mental and emotional wounds after abuse also. Those are great hurts, great afflictions which God's people suffer. And those are needs too, but the greatest of needs is this. I need my sins forgiven. Sin has battled against me hard this past week. You felt it. You've fallen. Even though you may have enjoyed it for a while, you know the pressing in of guilt upon your conscience. You know the accusing finger of Satan as he points at you and says, You're too sinful to go to heaven. You belong to me. You know that. You've experienced that even as children of God. Your greatest need is to hear Jesus say to you in this way, Son, your sins, your specific ones, all of them are forgiven, pardoned freely for my sake. There are many on this earth who would disagree with that. would even be offended by such a statement because there is an offense to that gospel. Who may be like a paralyzed man on the ground responding to me in the preaching. I don't need forgiveness. I need healing. I need something else. And you're implying they may respond. You're implying that I am to blame for my suffering. Well, yes. Beloved, yes, it's offensive, but every sickness and every hardship on this earth, though it may not come as a direct consequence of a specific sin of yours, is the result of original sin, which is your sin and my sin. And we deserve worse, remember, than paralysis and all the hardships we face in this life. And thus the merciful Jesus Christ comes to you and me, even in His Word this evening. And He says to us, here is what you need. First and foremost, though I will take care of all your other needs, this is what you need first and foremost. Hear me by faith. Son, daughter, your sins be forgiven you. When Jesus spoke that word, there was an effect upon the heart, the soul of that paralyzed man, though it was invisible. The scribes and the Jews of Jesus' day could not see any effect, of course. In unbelief, they imagined that Jesus had spoken mere words, and words that were blasphemous. They condemned him. Verse 6 reasoning in their hearts Who does this man, or why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Their unbelieving hearts had this assumption, this false premise, that the Son of God, standing there before them, Jesus, is not God. 
And with that false premise or that false assumption then, of course, he's not allowed to forgive sins. That would be blasphemy. You see, they understood Jesus correctly when he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus was not meaning to forgive in a horizontal manner. A man to another man. It wasn't that Jesus had been offended by a sin that this paralytic had committed. Maybe he looked at him wrong while he was preaching at another point. And now he was forgiving him for that sin. It wasn't a horizontal forgiveness. But Jesus was saying, and the, and the scribes and Pharisees understood, all your sins, because all your sins are committed against God, now I forgive you for all of your sins. That's what Jesus meant, and that's what the Pharisees understood him to mean. Only God could say that without blasphemy. Denying him as the Son of God, they came to that conclusion. And Jesus proves immediately that he is God. He does so by perceiving in his spirit, verse 8, that they so reasoned within themselves. He reads their minds. He knows exactly what they're thinking. They don't even say it out loud. As they deny his deity, he proves his deity by reading their minds and then showing that he knows what they're thinking. That he, as a mere man, did not have the right or the power to forgive sins. I want to apply that before moving on. There's some here this evening, some of you, sitting in the presence of God, taking Jesus' words of forgiveness lightly. You hear the word preached, though it be through weak means, and you know very well the meaning You understand what is being said. You understand even that that the concept of preaching is such that though it's a human preacher, Jesus actually speaks to our hearts with that Word as it is preached. You understand that concept that Jesus actually tells His people in the depths of their souls, Son, Thy sins are forgiven, and there is peace, and there is joy, and there is a lifting up of guilt. But you don't believe it. There are some people sitting here who think of it as silly, as mysticism. Perhaps you have a rationalistic tendency that justification has been from all eternity. It's not something that happens in time. There's no way He actually speaks that to our hearts. Well, that's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's in that unbelief that you do the same thing as these scribes here. Denying Christ's power with His Word to actually speak to the consciousness of His children and in that instant give faith and repentance and forgiveness in the soul. Jesus knows. He reads the mind. He sees what you are thinking. Believe, beloved, that He actually does this with His Word. Not as the scribes and Pharisees denied it in their hearts. To the scribes and Pharisees of His day and the scribes and Pharisees today, 
Jesus proves His ability to speak His Word and forgive souls on this earth, He says, in time. Verses 10 and 11, that He may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And at that word of Jesus, as soon as He spoke those imperatives, the paralyzed man was healed. The effect was immediate. The nervous system with all of its connections to the brain, all the damaged nerves during paralysis is now, are now healed instantly. The muscles weakened and atrophied over a significant time period are now given full strength. The one who could not even put himself on the bed gets up off the bed and picks up that bed and walks home. That's astounding. And you and I should say or marvel, what an amazing word of Jesus Christ to speak and it is done. But don't forget this now. That the miracle with His word of healing the paralysis was meant to prove the greater work of healing this man's soul with His word of forgiveness. It was to prove that He indeed was the Son of God with the authority and the power to speak and work the knowledge of forgiveness in the depths of a soul. The powerful word of visible, visible in the healing of this paralytic proves the invisible spiritual healing of this man that had taken place before. Now a question. Which is easier? Speaking to heal the man physically or speaking to forgive? The answer to that question leads us to the proper glorifying of God's name. Which is easier? To speak for the healing of paralysis or to speak and bring forth forgiveness. Jesus here is not speaking of just saying it, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk. Anybody can say that as empty words. He's talking about saying and accomplishing it with His Word. Which one is easier? The speaking for the healing of someone who is paralyzed is difficult. Doctors today with modern medicine cannot do this. The answer of which is easier from a human point of view and which describes thought was that it was easier to say, I forgive you, 
Thy sins be forgiven thee. And it was more difficult to say, rise up and walk. But now consider forgiveness of sins. What does it take for the Son of God to forgive sins? When He speaks, even if it's in a still, small voice, His Spirit takes the Word and so works it in the heart that the man or the woman hears His voice of pardon. That's not something everyone does or hears. That's a miracle. But then this too. Jesus is in His earthly ministry, but you know where He's going. In order to speak that word of forgiveness, and not only work in the hearts of man to know it, but to know it in truth, because the legal work has been done to accomplish forgiveness. Jesus was on the way to the cross. You ask, which is easier? To speak for their healing of paralysis or to go to the cross and suffer the infinite wrath of God for the sins of all of His people. Impossible, you say. How can, a, how can a man suffer for all the sins of all his people? Exactly. Impossible. The Son of God is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the Son of God. And for the forgiveness of sins, so that it is rightfully His to give, He did that which is humanly impossible and speaks that to you today on the basis of my finished work on the cross. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus accomplished both the forgiveness of sins and the healing of paralysis for this man so that he glorified God. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3 may have been what he was praising God for or what he was using to praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what's the first one listed? You know it. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, that may have been on the lips of the paralyzed man, now healed, as he carried his bed home. The crowds are described this way as glorifying God too. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Interesting how Matthew describes their glorifying of God. Matthew 9.8 They marveled. They marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men, we read. Glorify God that He had given such power unto men. Luke 5.26 has another strange description. They were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, 
We have seen strange things today. When you hear those descriptions of how the people around glorified God, I I don't take those descriptions to indicate that these multitudes glorified God out of a true faith. Some of them may have. I remember many of them are yet in unbelief. They are marveling. They're saying, wow. They're outwardly praising, but not from their hearts. Let, not, let that not be how you glorify God as you leave here, beloved. Wow, a sensational story. Four men making a hole in the roof. Jesus healing him. What is your response today? Let it not be a shallow, emotional, externalized formality of worship as you sing that last song. But from your heart of true faith that knows that Jesus has spoken His forgiveness to you. May Christ speak in your heart today so that you go home as this man, this paralytic. Luke 5.25 says, He departed to His own house glorifying God. You know what that means, right? House. It doesn't mean that he simply went to a building with a flat roof and entered that building talking to himself. House means his, the people of his house, his household. He went home. He went home not quiet, but he went home speaking, talking about that which Christ Jesus had done for his soul. What do you think that healed man said? For the glory of God. Imagine it out of a true faith now, knowing the forgiveness of all of his sins, he may have said something like this. If Jesus had left me there, still paralyzed, and had spoken that which was greater, the forgiveness of my sins, that would have been been enough He said all that my soul ever needed. How do you go home today? Speaking to your wife, your husband, your children. The Son of God Himself spoke to me. He told me, all my sins, all that I ever have done, and said they were all forgiven. And I know it. I know it by the faith He has given me. Praise be to God. And even if I must lay here for a while in the bed of affliction and hardship and all the hardships of this earth, glory be to God who forgives all my iniquities and will one day heal all of my diseases. So let that be. Amen. Let's pray. O God, we bless Thee. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For Thou hast forgiven all our iniquities. Thou hast healed all our diseases. Thou dost redeem our life from destruction. And thou dost crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. 
May the Spirit of Jesus Christ so work that Thy Word, though brought forth in weakness, may come into our hearts with power so that we may know that Jesus has spoken to us and stir up within us then a zealous life pursuing good works for the glory of Thy name like these four men seeking to bring others to Jesus. And these things we pray for His sake alone. Amen.